Welcome to the Authentic Leadership Podcast, a five-part series from the Reuters Institute. My name is Rama Sharma, and I'm a journalist, consultant, and executive coach. This podcast is inspired by a quest I started when I was working at the BBC as a senior editor in news. By that point, I had been at the organisation for 17 years, working my way up from a role as a broadcast assistant. One year, I won a place on a cool fellowship, a fellowship in which we were encouraged to explore our leadership journeys and what we now needed to develop. This invitation brought some unexpected surprises for me. I reflected on what it had taken for me, a so-called minority, a British-born Indian woman, and that too from a modest background, to climb the ladder successfully and the challenges I'd faced along the way. I began to wonder, had I assimilated to get ahead or had I simply adapted? And what about authenticity? Something we're told is so important in leadership. When was I able to be myself and when was I not? What was about me and the way I did things and what was not? Now, given many of the other leaders on my fellowship had similar quandaries, it prompted a wider question in my mind about whether minority leaders could even be authentic and thrive. Over the course of the next year, I read widely on the subject and met some brilliant leaders from across the media and cultural sector, particularly in the UK. They had similar stories to share and they had questions too. They also offered some unique perspectives and tools that helped them to succeed whilst remaining true to themselves. In this podcast, I'd like to share what I've learned, share the questions that are still outstanding in my mind, and hope the international guests on this series will go some way in answering them. In this first episode, then, I'd like us to explore the concept of authenticity. What do we mean by it? It feels important, but why does it actually matter? So to help us get started, joining me is Ruchika Tulshian, a former business journalist, now a successful author, speaker and DNI advisor based in Seattle, and Stefan Mayu, a former BBC colleague of mine, in fact, with 25 years of experience as an editor at the BBC, including in African news and current affairs. He is now an executive coach and psychotherapist with a special interest in race and belonging. Ruchika and Stefan, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you, Rama. So let's start with this term authenticity then, Stefan. What does it mean? Well, I guess uh, I would like to uh, look at it uh, from uh, a psychotherapy perspective to start with whereby um, we are, it seems to me, or a lot of people in need therapy are on a journey, on a quest to try and identify who they really are. What is their so-called real self, authentic self? And I, I see and look at families a bit like I look at organizations in a way, as a, as a child, we all need to adapt to the environment. And some of those strategies are beautifully inventive and creative, and they tend to work in the main. At the same time, 
they add layers of uh, what I would describe our, our core, who we really are. And as we grow up, depending on the environment of a game, um, we uh, hide this core, we adapt, and uh, the strategies become like a, a heavy coat we carry along. And uh, that may um, diminish our spontaneity, our real self. Uh, again, those strategies are very, very creative. The question often is in, in adult life, whether they are still relevant and still appropriate uh, for the present. So why does it matter in leadership? Well, uh, I guess, uh, I suppose if it, uh, if it matters to every one of us, it's going to matter to, to leaders as well. I guess, you know, this heavy coat, um, as I just said, tends to uh, diminish our spontaneity and the way we connect with others, the way we relate, the way possibly as a leader, we uh, connect with teams and staff and peers and bosses. Um, and the most powerful way to relate to another is to be oneself, I believe. Um, without which uh, it seems we are gonna be spotted as inauthentic, as unreal, as playing games. And uh, if a leader is after what we call performance, I think being oneself, one true self, with respect and humility and hopefully hope and ambitions, if one can be one's true self, I think it's going to work better for me as a leader. Yeah, so I mean, as you were speaking, I was thinking that as a child, you're sort of adapting to wanting to belong to your family, to be close to your parents. And then adolescence and adulthood is when you're really trying to shed those kind of layers of what other people expect of you and want of you. And, and you're trying to be, you know, your true self, so to speak. Absolutely, and, and uh, I guess uh, organizations like family in an explicit or implicit way will expect of me as an employee or as a leader to adopt the codes and to adapt. And sometimes it's useful, sometimes it isn't. And Richika, what about yourself? If I said, what does authenticity mean to you? What, what would you say? Wow, Roman, Stefan, I really love, uh, Stefan, what you talked about, and I really identify with this idea of it being a really heavy coat or, um, for many of us, an armor that we have to put on. Um, and I think there are so many layers to this that are related to the question of authenticity related to your identity. And so even when I think of my adolescence, I think of my childhood, um, for many of us who were born outside the country of their parents' origin or moved at a very young age to a culture that was very different from the one that perhaps they'd seen at home, um, there's, there's a constant, um, you know, this heavy coat that you put on starts from a very young age. And when I think of authenticity, and especially right now, especially when people turn to me and they ask me on wonderful podcasts like this one, what does it mean to be authentic self? The reality is I really don't know because from a very young age, um, you know, going to a British first and then an international school in Singapore, um, but growing up with Indian immigrant parents in Singapore, it's it was very confusing. What is my authentic self, right? Is it the one that speaks Hindi at home? 
and um, you know, and across the, whether it was it was food or language or culture, but even the worldview. You know, what are women capable of doing outside the home? Should they even be in the workplace? From you know, literally from those questions from a very young age, from what I saw modeled for me to what I saw in school and, and desperately wishing I could belong, desperately changing myself so I could belong. You know, I had these really, you know, shameful memories of throwing away the food that my mom packed in my lunchbox so that I could, you know, go out and, you know, uh, you know, I could buy food from the canteen that the other kids wouldn't tease me about. So now when I come, you know, to this place in my life where, yes, as an adult, theoretically, Ram, as you said, you know, you, you are supposed to learn and you're supposed to like fall into this authentic self of, that you are. I cannot decouple based on the experiences I had, whether whether the, the, the rich guy was at home and the food I ate there and the language I spoke there and the way I was and some of the ideals I prescribed to at home. Was that my authentic self? Was it the one that I was at school? Was it the sort of rebel me as an adolescent? Was it the one that I, you know, was in my 20s, you know, my 30s? Like, I think that that is a question that's very tough and very confusing, um, especially for folks who have found themselves underrepresented or underestimated or both, um, especially in adulthood and then in the workplace. I mean, it's it's uh, so interesting because I do lots of coaching and it, it comes up a lot. And, and it, I mean, from my own experience, I found that realizing that when you're from the diaspora, actually you're a bit of both and you're carving this sort of middle ground, aren't you? And and how, for, for me, my sort of journey led me to believe that authenticity is some kind, is actually about values and those values you take from the different cultures that we're brought, you know, brought up in and and you know, and and, and the, the reason why I sort of, as I said in my introduction of, of why I wanted to ask you both this question is, is, you know, is that some of that assimilation or adaptation even a bad thing, you know, because we want to fit in and we want to belong versus, you know, authenticity. And I think, you know, Steph, if I can come back to you, there is a, there is a question about well-being though as well, isn't there? There's a question about authenticity being not just about, you know, wanting to come across as like a, a, a you know, a true person, um, but also that actually, if you can be authentic, you can be more relaxed. You can, you can be more, you can be well. I think so. And, and I really, um, I feel inspired by uh, what, what you guys just said about, it's not easy. It's, it's full of uncertainties. Who am I and who am I allowed to be when? Uh, I think, um, you said well-being is is also a sense of belonging, feeling uh, loved, feeling accepted in the place I'm in now. And if I don't, I'm not going to feel well. There's not going to be any uh, well-being. And, and, and at the same time, uh, do I feel well and accepted at home? Do I feel well and accepted at work? Am I the same in between? And I think the well-being is about can I integrate those two bits or those two or three or four bits as you described very well with your guides and in therapy we we talk about splitting a part of us cannot connect with another part of us and and when those things are split i think i'm i wouldn't feel well and sometimes the journey the quest is being able to integrate to reintegrate those different bits of us um and and in effect uh yeah i mean i'm 
sometimes say it needs to be spoken out, this kind of unease. It needs to be made explicit. I mean, therapy, after all, is often a journey from the implicit, the silent, to the explicit that's spoken out. And I think it ought to be somehow the same in organizations where if, uh, and we smile and even laugh about it sometimes, Rama, when at the start of a workshop, I would make it explicit that I'm French. It sounds trivial, uh, I mean, in Britain, uh, the French identity is not particularly oppressed. Uh, however, um, there's a difference there that I want to name. I want to name it because consciously or unconsciously, it will have an impact on my audience, on my peers, on the participants. And at least if I name it, we can make reference to it, whether it's, um, it might be relevant at times. It might be relevant at other times, but at least we can speak about it. And I think for uh, uh, peers uh, and leaders for, from formerly oppressed groups or currently oppressed groups, it, I'm assuming this is even more important to be able to name things, to talk things through. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting you said it because I've actually seen you witness you do that, Stefan. And I remember in my mind, I was like, why is he talking about being like, you know, like, Kind of, what, why is this relevant? I remember thinking, and then I sort of questioned myself is why did I have a problem with it? You know, and, and realizing my inability to stand up in front of the same group and say, hey, I'm different, even though it's clearly very, you know, very obvious and feeling that actually perhaps in my life, there was a consequence of, of being different. There was a consequence of actually saying so which meant that I then did not say so. That actually what I spent a lot of my time doing, say, hey, I'm like you. I'm like everyone, I'm like you. You know, I'm the same, I'm born here. I'm, you know, and I, and I thought a lot about that. And since then I've tried to play with it, try to, as you say, make it explicit. Um, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. I don't know if that's an experience you could share, Richika. A hundred percent. And I think it's also something about stepping more into your authentic self as someone who has experienced, uh, you know, being othered, right? I, do, I don't want to say oppressed, uh, although I, I know from personal experience, you know, being a woman of color, um, you know, being in spaces where perhaps you're the first, the only, the different, there's research on tokenism, which shows that pressure of needing to conform is really real adding to that uh code switching which is you know what we do you know because we're expected to be a different person at home we're expected to be a different person perhaps in our own communities um you know i remember you know I'm, i present as indian so i'd go to india i was even a journalist in india for a short time and people would immediately expect me to behave a certain way or speak a certain way and i couldn't and i felt othered in my own by people who had the same skin color as me but names like mine. So there's this constant pressure of like, do I belong here? What do I have to change about myself? And then adding to the well-being piece, which Stefan so beautifully articulated, is how much research now shows the pressure and the actual, that psychological toll it takes on people who have to code switch. And I want to name that code switch was really developed by researchers looking at the black experience in the workplace. Um, and how it can so much be applied to literally any other person 
who was born and, uh, you know, who has experienced life away from a very white Eurocentric way of experiencing the workplace, right? And even among that, what we find, what's really amazing about belonging work, and I know, Stefan, I can imagine you see this all the time, is in creating inclusive workplaces, in creating uh, different authentic styles to really shine, even people from dominant majority groups feel like they belong more. Even they feel like they can truly bring a more authentic, true version of themselves, whether it's vulnerability, whether it's not having to conform to ideals, for example, of toxic masculinity or a lack of empathy that, you know, these very old, outdated ways of showing up in the workplace. I think we're starting to challenge that by creating a more inclusive way and a way of belonging that looks different, um, you know, based on your identities. Stefan, did you want to respond to that? Well, I, I wanted to give uh, an example, possibly, uh, in my uh, past at the, at the BBC, where I mostly worked uh, in African news and current affairs and ended up in a, pos in a position of relative responsibility. And I did a lot of uh, recruiting in Africa, recruiting for talent, especially on-air talent, not only, but... And we were trying to recruit... Um, people with potential, with literally uh, on-air performance, uh, with writing skills, and we did. And noticeably, once in London, people would change the way they were talking on-air. And on a couple of occasions, I, I remember going to, to, to see a colleague of mine and saying, well, it's interesting, you know, we, I've noticed you, you speak differently now when you present uh, the news. And the answer would be, well, I am on the BBC. And the only uh, direction I was trying to, to give, I said, hold on, hold on. Uh, we've recruited you for your talent, for your voice, and you are the BBC. But there was, I think, a longing to be accepted, a longing to... Uh, to belong, it's, it's a very human thing, and, and, and Wuchika described it very well, longing to belong to the canteen as a, as, as a teenage person, longing to belong, and uh, the, the terror, it is a terror for me in the mind, the terror of being kicked out, of being sidelined, of being othered, as you said, Wuchika, of being marginalized. And uh, it's not necessarily a conscious process, uh, although possibly some presenters make it consciously, some others, might have made it unconsciously. I think I want to add to that. I think it would also be about wanting to succeed. What is going to make me succeed? Um, and, you know, so, so a part of my journey as well, which I think relates to your example, Stefan, is, is, you know, I had to sort of forgive myself that for the first 10 years of my career, um, I adapted because I was desperate to succeed. I wanted to be the best at what I was doing. And authenticity was a privilege because if you come from a modest background, it was about making money. It was about changing your reality. Uh, it wasn't, you know, this concept of authenticity was, was really felt like something that came once I was established enough. Once I had found my, found my, you know, 
found my, my skills, found the way to do things, found how the environment works, and then testing, okay, now can I be authentic and, and seeing how far you can go or how far you can't go. You know, which brings us neatly into how much of the, of the environment affects our ability to be authentic. Because I bet for that individual, you being able to say what you said to them gave them so much permission, not just because you were their boss, because you were the organization that he perceived he had joined of saying, I want you to be yourself and how empowered that would have made him feel. So on that, you know, Richika, you wrote an article that went viral about this, about that, you know, is it about the people or is it about the culture and the organizations? You know, tell, tell us in relation to this. Yeah, and because this is a podcast, I just want to tell every all the listeners that when Stefan, you know, talked about the experience of going to people who uh, changed themselves to feel like, oh, this is the BBC and I must change myself to fit in here. I actually did a little victory dance because um, both a victory dance and then I and then when Rama, you said, you know, this concept of having to forgive yourself, I think a lot of leaders of color, um, many I speak to, many I interviewed for my book, many I interviewed also for the specific article and other articles I've written about the experience of being, uh, again, particularly a woman of color in the workplace. A big part of that relates to forgiving yourself for all those years you changed yourself and, you know, dealt with a lot of the psychological impacts of code switching, of changing, of conforming, of, you know, you might have had to do things that didn't feel at all authentic to you, but pushing past that um, to succeed. And so when I when I wrote the article um, on Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome, I co-wrote it with uh, my co-author Jody Ann Beery. We really wanted to touch upon how many of us are told we don't belong, maybe from a very young age, how those feelings are exacerbated by workplaces where the majority of leaders are not like Stefan, where they don't say, we want you to bring your authentic self. You're actually punished, you know, and, and it becomes even more so we've now, I've started looking at the research around other intersections. Um, Catalyst here in the United States did a fantastic report on, unfortunately, on how, you know, for women whose hair is more, uh, for example, identifiably thicker, curlier, um, you know, uh, of African origin, that really gets penalized versus women with straight hair. So natural hair gets penalized versus, you know, straight, more Eurocentric hair. Darker skin tones get penalized. And again, what can you do with that? And, you know, I've been looking at, unfortunately, this huge, very dangerous skin lightening industry that has, you know, we, many of us know about it, um, and it, to try and conform and to succeed. And so when I wrote this article on imposter syndrome, really my hope was that more of us could question um, and really push back against this narrative that there was something lacking in us, that we were the imposters, that that feeling, that wish, that desire to belong that Stefan talked about, which is so human, we are truly hardwired for belonging is what I've heard and what I've read and what I've experienced, that if that feeling of wanting to belong and changing yourself and needing to constantly change yourself because you're in an environment that tells you your authentic self or any identifiably different part of yourself is not welcome here and is not the key to success. 
Can you imagine the impact of dealing with that day in and day out for years on end, for decades on end? And I think that is the real question here. I think we really do need to ask from an environment standpoint, what can we do to be more inclusive so that we don't get to a stage where people have worked in a career for decades and said that they have imposter syndrome when actually what they have is that constant feeling of being told you don't belong here. So, Richika, what do you tell organizations, you know, what is the advice? Yes, well, the number one advice is stop sending, you know, women and people of color to these development programs to become better leaders, right? It, 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 honestly, I think that when we look back at that, at those programs, I think the only effectiveness is to help people find community, especially if it's outside the organization, find that tribe of people where, who look a bit like you, who have a similar experience to you. But I think at the same time, the, the thing that comes very much to mind is what Stefan kind of talked about. And again, when you know, once the article was published, Jody Ann and I talked to many, many women of color, women really around the world. And time and again, what we found is when you have managers and leaders who say to you, I believe in you. I love how you bring this very authentic self to work. You know, I love this part of you that is clearly a very deep core part of you, of your leadership, of how you, you know, your, the frameworks that you bring to the workplace. I think that makes such a big difference that I think being able to teach leaders, coach managers to look out for that is really, really important. And I think the other thing is, is really making sure that leaders understand how biased perspectives, stereotypes, and other, you know, literally sometimes it's flat out racism or misogyny or sexism that shows up in things like performance reviews and evaluations and conversations around who to hire and who to advance um, and have a very, very strong way to get ahead of that. And that's why I think being able to talk about these issues, make, bring to light, you know, really, Stefan, what you talk about is so key because what I hope to do and what others like me are trying to hope, what we're hoping to do is really bring out and make explicit what has been implicit for years. And I think when Rama, when, when you and I prepped for this conversation, we really talked about how both of us had experienced that pushback and, and that ability, that inability to even articulate, like, what's going on in this room? You know, is, is there something going on with me? And then, of course, we know the big word of last year and, you know, years on end is gaslighting. But there's a lot of gaslighting that we both do to ourselves to try and deal with the situation. I remember dealing with, you know, racism in the workplace you know, more than 10 years ago. And I would tell myself, oh, no, 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 that it's not. No, 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 it's not racist. It's not because you're a woman of color. It's just, you know, it's just you. You made the mistake, right? You did something wrong. You could have tried harder. And it's and it's really being in an environment which makes it safe for you to say, no, something's wrong here. And I need I need support from people who are in leadership positions. Stefan, you've raised as well this this idea of language, you know, as what. Richika just yeah. said about the ability to be able to say, to challenge in the moment as a, you know, such a big part of, of, of changing a culture um, and, and helping to make it more inclusive. Yes, uh, finding the right words, which is the work in, in therapy, actually, finding the right words uh, is liberating um, because suddenly there is a situation where 
there is something I know is happening, but I haven't been able to think. And by looking for the words and naming what's happening to me as an individual, I can suddenly think the, un the, the known, you know, and, and uh, racism, oppression, discrimination is uh, often not thought, often not named. I suppose the work as, as a therapist is also about for leaders to know themselves quite well, to do the work about self-reflection. As, as uh, Ushika was saying, it's, there's an issue in the room. I feel, oh, suddenly someone is going, I, I feel a bit hurt here. Is it me or is it them? Can I say it? Can I say uh, I'm hurt? Um, and being able to, to know what hurts me will help me call out stuff in rules. Uh, knowing full well, as Uchika said, it's not me. It's, you know, the, the environment is problematic. Can we talk about it? Um, the, um, the other aspect of this, and it's, uh, um, I'm not sure whether I'm jumping the gun here, but is for leaders of color, for me, and, and, and uh, you, Rama, and you, Uchika, will know this much, much better than I would ever would because I, I, I don't have the lived experience. We're talking about othering and, and uh, marginalization and oppression. And there's a dilemma in my head is, do I keep fighting? In which case I'm totally, my identity becomes the fighter identity, but still I'm being identified by the split in the environment, by the oppression in the environment. Or do I stop fighting to find my real self, possibly, but then the injustice is unaddressed. It, it, somehow, I'm in, my, in my mind, it must be a dilemma, the fighter dilemma. Uh, am I being totally defined by the fight? And therefore, you know, where's my freedom there? Or do I stop fighting and therefore abandon the struggle and the, the, the search for justice. Of course, I can't have an answer to that, but that's what's going on through my head as we are talking. And I think it, it kind of neatly brings to a close the sort of the learning that I've um, found from you both that, I very, that you've very generously offered, which is that there are two things going on here, isn't there? There's this real journey of self-discovery that we have to go on, that we all go on, in fact, but perhaps is a little bit more complex if you're different in some way, you know, whether it's class or race or gender or diaspora, whatever it might be, um, that there's that work, whether it's the work of self-forgiveness, whether it's the work of, you know what, I'm going to have to adapt because I've got food to put on the table and I don't have the privilege of being the fighter even, or the choice of like, okay, well, I know a lot of people going to do DNI work, perhaps Richard Gay are the same, because actually that's the mission. That's what you want to do that's where you find you have some skills and and I find myself constantly thinking well actually do I want to be defined in that way but actually there's some value to be added and uh, this constant sort of question um and then there's so much to be said about the organizations you know there is I can imagine that if I was in a place where there were lots of Stefans around you know there were lots of kind of you know leaders who were interested in not just your journalism skills sorry I know I'm making, making you blush but not just um, the quality of your journalism, but actually the quality of the insight that you bring because of who you are, even though it might be more difficult to understand, 
even though it might be more niche for you to understand that that's really valued and how what would the impact be then of your staff in being able to be themselves and I you know I'm really uh, curious to learn more about that I want to thank you both for your time um, on this podcast any final uh, thoughts before we finish um, yeah, I'll, I'll go first. And I just, Rama, Stefan, obviously, I'm very, very thankful for this opportunity. I think there's there's two things here. I think for the organization and for leaders, especially with leadership position, with privilege, with power, I don't think you can turn away from making your organization more inclusive. And there's research upon research study that shows why we know we're better journalists, we know we're better media. Uh, we're more, we actually uphold the ideals of democracy and the job that we're supposed to do, the more diverse and inclusive we are. So I think there's that side. The other side for, as you know, as people of color, as women of color, people with other, you know, marginalized, underestimated backgrounds, I think it's completely fine to make the right choice for you. And I think there will come a day for most of us that I've spoken to where you cannot ignore those rumblings, right? And it shows up in different ways. It could mean you continue on in a job, in an environment that perhaps is very challenging and you decide you want to do the fight internally for a variety of reasons. For some of us, we had the privilege. I had the privilege of leaving workplaces that were toxic for me for a variety of reasons, and I did. And this is the way that I decided that I would both begin the journey of self-healing and hopefully creating paths for others. I think whichever way you go, certainly, and I want to say this specifically to people who are struggling with this, you know, you have to put yourself first and you have to forgive yourself first as you decide what to do and how to navigate these these waters. And I think for, for especially, again, for organizations and for leaders in positions of power and privilege, you know, it's foolish not to prioritize this. Thank you, Richka. Stefan? Well, I think I would simply like to um, to pay homage to Vuchika's uh, first words about the, the complexity, the personal complexity, uh, the search, the quest for the authentic self uh, is a long journey full of uncertainties, uh, as you've just said, Vuchika, uh, but you, know, you, you need to make the right choices for yourself. And it's a never-ending journey. It's a quest. It's a beautiful quest uh, with ups and downs, with joys, hopes, and also uh, pains and despair. Um, and I think, uh, I hope more and more organizations are able to embrace this language and this, and this quest uh, to make working places um, better for everyone. And I think there'd be better results as well, as a result. Um, thank you both again. And just to say, we've got some fantastic examples of leaders who'll be sharing their personal quests with us. We'll be sharing the black experience, as we've mentioned a few times in this episode. We've got um, a male experience as well. The diaspora will be looking at the Latinx experience. So um, please stay with us for this authentic leadership mini series. It'll be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Reuters Institute, you can also sign up to our weekly newsletter from our homepage or Twitter bio. I thank you so much for joining us.